From the K-Rob Collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. On this podcast, we spotlight Jack Parr. The author, comedian, and actor is best known as one of the most successful hosts of NBC's Tonight Show. The Canton, Ohio native began his career working in radio despite growing up with a stutter. Parr was a humorous DJ at radio stations in Detroit, Cleveland, and Buffalo, and was then given his own network radio show on NBC in 1947. After getting into a disagreement with the show's sponsor, Parr briefly worked as an actor for RKO Pictures. In 1950, Parr returned to radio as a game show host, but again, clashed with his sponsor. He got a few jobs in television, and then was given his big break as host of The Tonight Show in 1957, ten years after his first network radio show, which is coming up next. Nationwide is on your side. Bring your finances into the 21st century with a My Checking account at Nationwide Bank, powered by Axos. My Checking is designed so you can bank on your terms. This account offers unlimited domestic ATM fee reimbursements, no monthly maintenance fees, and no minimum balance requirements. Nationwide Bank offers Direct Deposit Express, so you can receive your paycheck up to two days earlier. Plus, there's a free app so you can bank on your phone no matter where you are. Open a new My Checking account at krobcollection.com and receive $20.00. If you are a new Nationwide or Axos Bank customer and deposit $500 into your account within 90 days, Nationwide is on your side with a $20 gift for opening a free My Checking account powered by Axos. Get full details at krobcollection.com. The Jack Parr Program, presented by Lucky Strike. In a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. And L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Day in, day out. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And this fine Lucky Strike tobacco means real deep down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. This week, number eight on your hit parade. Sorry, wrong program. From Hollywood, Lucky Strike presents the Jack Parr Program with songs by Trudy Irwin, the Page Cavanaugh Trio, Jerry Fielding in the orchestra, yours truly, High Everback, and starring America's new young humorist, Jack Parr! Thank you, you're very kind. This is Jack Parr. 
Hello, and to that lady on a picnic listening to me on her portable radio. Madam, your child is smearing jam all over my volume control. <laughs> Before we go any further, there's here's the weather forecast for Washington, D.C. Cloudy, followed by continuing vetoes. <laughs> I understand that Congress has a new theme song this week. It's called I'm Just Mild About Harry. <laughs> Well, uh, here we are. Here we are on our fourth week replacing Jack Benny. I'll bet that President Truman would love to get a summary placement for Senator Taft. <laughs> Radio's really getting ready for the hot weather. Take Gabriel Heater. They've turned Heater down to his pilot light. <laughs> this summer we're going to hear a great many mystery shows on the air. All the private eyes are wearing sunglasses, you know. Mystery shows are great for hot weather, though. You, you get frightened, your hair stands on end, and you can ventilate your head. Oh, I feel like I'd sneak in every script, you know. They all can't be gems. We're still friends, aren't we? I hear that on Inner Sanctum, they've taken down... I hear that on Inner Sanctum, they've taken down the creaking door and put up a screen. That's to keep the bats and spiders in. <laughs> Personally, I like those mystery shows. There, Ever since I was a kid, I've been crazy about blood and detectives and murder. Maybe I was born with a silver knife in my back. I don't know. <laughs> and did you see where Lassie the dog has her own radio program? Confidentially, she's not the same sweet pup she used to be. I met her at the studio this morning, and she wouldn't even wag at me. Maybe success has gone to her tail. I don't know. <laughs> How do you like that? A dog putting on the dog. But that's summer radio. It's a matter of economy, you see. In the winter, they say, uh, Mr. Benny, uh, how do you want your salary this week? Cash is check or stocks and bonds? To me, they say, hey, kid, how do you want it? Heads or tails? <laughs> Some sponsors have cut their programs way down for the summer. You take Phil Spitalny's Hour of Charm. In the winter, it's a 65-piece orchestra. Now it consists of a guitar, Evelyn and her magic mix master, and a leaky balloon. <laughs> We've had to make some changes in our plans for music, too. We were going to do the sextet from Lucia, but they cut it down to the Paige Cavanaugh trio, who will now do their version of Cecilia. Any resemblance to the original sextet is pure talent. Proceed, fellas. <laughs> Does your mother know you're out to see you? Does she know that I'm about to steal you? Oh, my, when I look in your eyes, my heart tells me you and I should get together. How's about a little kiss, Cecilia? Just a kiss, you never miss, Cecilia. Why do we two keep on wasting time? Cecilia, please be mine.
fascinating reading, believe me. I read one the other day. There were such educational articles as how an average Hollywood family gets along in as little as $4,000 a week. <laughs> and uh, how to make this year's husband last another year. <laughs> another big feature of the movie magazine was the interviews with the stars. For instance, in one interview, Margaret O'Brien's mother said that she wanted her daughter to grow up like any other normal American child. And therefore, she was limiting Margaret to 28 ice cream cones a day. <laughs> In another interview, Errol Flynn said that his hobby was acting, but that he doesn't have time for it. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about those interviews? What is the movie star really thinking when he's being interviewed? And what's the reporter thinking? Do they actually mean the things they say to each other? Shall we find out? We take you now to the home of that dashing leading man, Gregory Parr, as he welcomes Constance Vanderskin, reporter from Screen Gush magazine. Hello, Gregory Darling. Grand of you to give me a few moments of your time. I've been waiting just ages for this interview. Ages? It was either interview him or trigger the horse. <laughs> just my luck triggers out of town. Isn't that nice, Connie dear? And I must say you look just grand. Yes, indeed, you seem to get younger every time I see you. <laughs> Younger, this is the only dame I know whose crow's feet wear open-toed shoes. <laughs> oh, you're so kind, Greg, darling. But now I think we should start our interview. All right, Connie, dear. What, uh, what uh, would you like to know about little old me? I hope she doesn't ask me about my last picture. What a clinker. The two Mrs. Nussbaums. <laughs> Greg, what you do in your spare time would certainly be interesting to my readers. It would be more interesting if my readers could read. <laughs> well, I've always been mad about active sports, polo, boxing, wrestling, anything that's rough and dangerous. I hope she doesn't notice I forgot to put my knitting needles away. <laughs> well, I can't believe you're the athletic type. I saw you in bathing trunks once. Ooh, what a physique. You're so masculine, so vibrant, so alive. 
I bet when he gets on the scales, instead of a fortune, the car just has a phone number of Forest Lawn on it. Yes, I have developed quite a physique. My neck measures 17 and a half inches, you know. 17 and a half inches? That's right. I wonder if she knows that includes my shoulders. <laughs> of course, you understand, Connie, that sports are not my only hobby. Really? Yes, I'm quite a bookworm. Read all the classics. Shakespeare, Longfellow, Shaw. I'm all set if she asks me about Dick Tracy. <laughs> Anything else, Connie? Yeah. Uh, tell me, Greg, how did you happen to meet your charming wife, Gwendolyn? Charming wife. She's probably loaded as usual. <laughs> and upstairs looking for a bottle in the chandelier. Well, we met long before I became a star, and we've come up together the hard way. I hope Gwendolyn doesn't get electrocuted fooling around with that chandelier. <laughs> Well, just one more question and then I'm through. What are your plans for the future, Greg, darling? Well, very... Well, very soon I hope to put my dear old mother uh, in a home, you know, my home. I'm really crazy about her. She's 70, you know. I have to do something for the old lady. Last week she lost her job setting up pins in a bowling alley. <laughs> my, how sweet. Well, Greg, it's been a grand interview, and when it's published, I'm sure all your fans will send you loads of mail. If he's smart, he won't open anything that ticks. <laughs> Thank you, Connie. It's been a pleasure, but next time you drop in, please let me know in advance so I can be ready. This will teach me not to go so long between permanents. <laughs> well, goodbye, Greg, dear. Goodbye, Connie, darling. Plus, MFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. For the answer to who buys what tobacco at the auction, Lucky Strike presents The Man Who Knows. <laughs> Yes, Lucky Strike presents The Man Who Knows, the tobacco warehouseman. Mr. Alexander Irvin of Reedsville, North Carolina, has handled 35 million pounds of tobacco. Not long ago, he said, For a good many seasons, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy fine, ripe, mellow tobacco. Tobacco you just can't beat for real smoking quality. I've smoked Luckies for 14 years. Yes, friends, year after year, at market after market, tobacco experts like Mr. Irvin... Men who know fine tobacco can see the makers of Lucky Strike select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. Real Lucky Strike tobacco. Remember, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So for your own real deep down smoking enjoyment, smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. Now, 
here's our lovely singer, Miss Trudy Irwin. Trudy has a brand new idea in vocals. You can understand every word she sings, and she stays on key for the entire two minutes. Patent applied for. Trudy? <laughs> Why so cold and why so strange? Be sentimental. Don't hang your face on jealousy and hate. Cause Ivy, he was never born for the touch of a witch's thorn. So please be gentle to his heart. Did you know that a recent radio survey showed that one out of every three people in the United States is now a disc jockey? Everybody's becoming a disc jockey. Woody Herman, Tommy Dorsey, and even Paul Whiteman. A funny thing, though. For, for years, people thought Whiteman was playing records. Then one night he stepped aside, and there was a 56-piece orchestra behind him. <laughs> As a result of this disc jockey epidemic, our country's be turning into a, a nation of record fans. How will this affect the next generation? Will the kids of the future be born with holes in their heads? <laughs> Will their mothers transcribe them for release at a more convenient bedtime? <laughs> and will large families come in albums? <laughs> the disc jockey is a product of today, which is one of the few things our ancestors can be thankful for. See, how about that? If there had been radio in the days of our ancestors, would they have had disc jockeys? Can you imagine them running wild a century ago among composers like Bach or Beethoven or Schubert? Way back there when 
Daniel Boone was trapping for I.J. Fox? <laughs> Here's how it would sound if there had been radio a hundred years ago. And so we conclude another chapter in the true life story of Rene Latouche, Girl Candle Snuffer. <laughs> the story of one girl's struggle with Louis XIV. <laughs> we urge you, one and all, Monsieur, Madame, and peasants, to tune in again tomorrow at the same time. This is NBC, the Napoleon Broadcasting Company. <laughs> The time is now half past the hour of eight. Gruen Curvex sundial time. <laughs> Remember the Curvex, the only sundial that's curved to fit your log. <laughs> and now, loyal subjects of the king, here is your favorite disc jockey. The show that has the Epcats jumping from Marseille to Mobile. Jacques Pars Platter Pared. <laughs> Forsooth, gang. This is your favorite knave, Jock Pie, with another solid record show. Yay and barely, cats. We're really going to have a time tonight. All new releases. We're going to have, uh, we're going to back into Bach, chop some Chopin and poo-poo some Paganini. <laughs> and later on as our guest tonight, we're going to have Franz Schubert, whom we all know as Frankie Boy. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, serfs, this is the first quarter hour is brought to you by Honest Pierre, the used horse dealer. Friends, are you still riding around on last year's horse? Wouldn't you like to get a new 1848 horse without paying a penny under the tail? Well, Honest Pierre has just received a shipment of brand new horses with such outstanding features as white sidewall horseshoes and rear vision saddles. Remember... I'll wait for you out there. Remember, horse drivers, Honest Pierre's nags contain knee action. If they won't go... Kick them with your knees. All prices are FOB Arabia. And now, cats. And now, cats, our first record. It's a new little ditty by Wolfgang Mozart, and Wolfie tells me it really jumps. Yea, verily, it's groovy. Head is recorded by Sir Guy Lombardo, the sweetest music this side of Hanover. All right, Sir Guy. <laughs> Sir Guy Lombardo. By the way, kids, that was Popsy Schneerbaum on the first flugelhorn. 
Incidentally, that number was played before Igor, Boris, Ivan, and all the gang over at the Siberian salt mines. <laughs> and the next quarter hour is brought to you by the Acme Powdered Wig Company. So now comes a bit of a transcription. Good news from the Acme Powdered Wig Company, makers of fine wigs for over 2,000 heads. Yes, Acme wigs now come in three convenient sizes. Long, very long, and... Hey, who turned out the lights? <laughs> so, buy an Acme wig today, and soon all your friends will be saying... She's lovely. She's engaged. She's bald. <laughs> Yes, good old Acme powdered wigs. No fooling, Barlitz. Acme wigs are so realistic, even dandruff can't tell the difference. <laughs> and now back to the record rack, and we have for you a brand new pop tune, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. This, of course, was written by that popular young composer, Ludwig von Beethoven. Nice gone, Lud. <laughs> We're going to hear this new symphony recorded by that young musical nobleman, Count Spike de la Jones. Spike has arranged this symphony for two oboes and a water hydrant. <laughs> All right, here we go. Beethoven's Fifth, recorded by Count Spike Taylor Jones and his orchestra, and I'll be back with you in just a minuet. <laughs> That was really solid, Gates. Before I forget, that last tune was dedicated to Napoleon and Josephine, who are celebrating their third year in exile today. Good luck, kids. And now cats gather around. It's time for our special guest. Here he is, that solid-sending scribbler of songs, France Unfinished Symphony Schubert. Come in, France. It's nice having you with us. Thank you. It gives me real kicks to be here with your solid... <laughs> Digging you again, France. What have you uh, been doing with yourself? Oh, the same thing I've been doing for years. Trying to finish that darn thing. <laughs> well, France, tell us, what's new in the symphony racket these days? Well, now, let me see. Oh, yeah, that young kid. Uh, what's his name again? Oh, yeah, yeah, Chopin. Freddy Chopin. Well, he just wrote a thing called Polonaise. It's nothing. Strictly schmaz. <laughs> He's a nice kid, that Chopin, but no talent. Uh, too much maybe mayonnaise in the polonaise, perhaps. <laughs> France, you just can't brush Chopin off like that. His, his stuff's creating quite a stir around the music halls. What about that, uh, that latest number of his, uh, the funeral march? Uh, the funeral march, believe me, nobody will ever dance to it. <laughs> 
Brads, I'm surprised to hear you talk this way about a young composer. Isn't it true that you wrote a symphony at the age of three? Yeah, yeah. Well, just, just, just think, a complete symphony at the age of three. It's amazing. What's amazing? It was lousy. <laughs> But it's, uh, it's still so unbelievable, a three-year-old child writing an entire symphony. Well, there was nothing else to do. I was too young to go meet girls. <laughs> I'll bet you wrote that symphony on three-cornered sheet music, maybe, huh? <laughs> Tell me, uh, Franz, is it true that uh, a lot of your work has been influenced by Ludwig von Beethoven? <laughs> Pa, are you choking? Ludwig von Beethoven, that schmo influenced me. Take it easy, Frankie. Well, I can't help it. All the time I'm hearing this myth of influence, influence. And what is this Beethoven bomb right, anyway? Symphonies, symphonies, nothing but symphonies. Like that uh, fifth symphony of his. Da, 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 da. That music, da, 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 da. That's knocking on the door, Richard. <laughs> I'm so mad at this man, I could kill him. I could scream. I could scream. Believe me, he did not influence me. <laughs> Franz, I think you've got bats in your Beethoven. I do. Look, there's something else I want to ask you. Is there any truth to the swing alley talk that you're forming a new hot trio? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We are going to call ourselves Franz Schubert and his Wiener Schnitzel Frey. <laughs> Wiener Schnitzel 3. The boys jump. Jump? Oh, believe me, strictly wonderbar Velorene. <laughs> <laughs> we got Johannes Brahms on the cello. Good boy, that's Johnny. And uh, uh, on the harpsichord, we got Franz Liszt, also a good man. And once he played with Beethoven. Beethoven, he did not influence me. <laughs> he did not influence me. And on the violin is me, also a good man. <laughs> I'm sure of that, Franz, and I'm going to put a plug in here for you right now. By the way, cats, the Wiener Schnitzel 3 is available for picnics, weddings, and guillotine parties. <laughs> How's that, Franz? Oh, absolutely zooty. <laughs> but I think you might also mention the trio opens Saturday night at the sign of the old boar's head inn. <laughs> oh, yes, that's placed right next door to the sign of ye no vacancy. <laughs> Did you get all that, cats? Let's really turn out Saturday and give Franz and the boys a great Excuse fake... Excuse me, Jacques. Uh, Madame, Monsieur, and peasants, we must interrupt this broadcast for urgent news. The palace guards have just overthrown the king. The annual spring revolution is now officially underway. <laughs> Sorry, Platter fans. Due to circumstances beyond our control, this program will now come to you from a more convenient country. <laughs> Jack Powell will be back in just a moment, but first, Lucky Strike presents The Man Who Knows. American. Yes, Lucky Strike presents The Man Who Knows. Independent tobacco auctioneer Brian Williams recently said, Season after season, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy tobacco that just can't be beat for real smoking quality. The Man Who Knows. Tobacco buyer Charles Saunders stated recently, Season after season, I've seen American buy tobacco that's really fine. For grand smoke, I picked Lucky's. Smoked them for 21 years. Men who know fine tobacco, experts like Brian Williams and Charles Saunders, can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. So for your own real deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember, 
L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. We're a little late, folks, so bonsoir. Don't forget, friends, for the Thompson Radio Entertainment, set your dial to NBC Wednesday night for that thrilling newspaper drama, The Big Story. And on Saturday night, don't miss your hit parade with Andy Russell, Martha Tilton, and the Pied Piper. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes, fine tobacco that means real deep-down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. From Hollywood, Lucky Strike presents the Jack Parr Program with songs by Trudy Irwin, the Page Cavanaugh Trio, Jerry Fielding and the Orchestra, yours truly, High Aberback, and starring America's newest comedy personality, Jack Parr. Thank you, thank you. This is Jack Parr. Well, we're a little late, so good night, folks. I don't get it either, but everybody says it, it always gets a big hand. I don't know. Well, how do you like the show so far? Uh, in case any of you are disappointed, remember, 17 more weeks till Jack Benny. Now, for those of you who have their hats on and are starting up the aisle, may I say that I'm not new in radio. I started many years ago as an announcer. But I get tired of saying things like the program that was recorded at an earlier hour to be played at this time will not be heard because some jerk fell down and broke the record. <laughs> and for a while, I worked on those daytime serial stories. This one was called Love Came to Her Once, but Wham! I played the part of Wham! <laughs> so you see, I'm well prepared to do this job for Lucky Strike. As a matter of fact, I'm a linguist. I understand eight languages and Effie Boone. <laughs> Of course, I'm in a little different situation than most comedians. I haven't enough money to hire 14 gag writers like Bob Hope. I saw Hope and his writers coming out of his office one day. It looked like recess at UCLA. <laughs> There's one thing I'd like to explain. We're not going to give anything away on this program. This is not the pot of gold or the show they call Answer It or You're a Schnook. <laughs> if your telephone rings while we're on the air, it just means one thing. Your phone bill is paid. <laughs> I may get funnier later on, but I doubt it. And oh, yes. <laughs> and oh, yes, this is a non-profit show. All the money we make tonight is going to a worthy charity. It's being sent to Washington for the underprivileged Democratic children. <laughs> P.S. The management has asked me to announce that immediately after this program, there will be entertainment. <laughs>
I'd like you to meet Miss Trudy Irwin, our all-girl singer. <laughs> and when you hear her, I'm sure you'll agree that singing's coming back. Trudy? Trudy Irwin, your carton of Luckies is in the mail. And now, friends, as a little late, but thank you. I'm... And now, friends, as a special edit feature of our show, Al Jolson will positively not appear as a guest star tonight. Revolutionary, isn't it? Incidentally, how about that guest star situation in radio? Every show you hear has a guest and always the same ones. Are they interchangeable like plumbing fixtures? Is Ford turning them out? If so, will General Motors meet the challenge and turn out a convertible guest star? First, he's Sidney Greenstreet, then you turn him inside out, and he's Luella Parsons. 
Really, the whole guest star idea is becoming overworked, abused, and Costello. It's, uh... <laughs> it's getting so that even the guest stars have guest stars. But the thing that impresses me is the false enthusiasm of guest appearances. You know what I mean. There's a knock on the door, the door opens, and the comedian says, Why, it's Kate Kaiser! What a surprise! What surprise? They've been rehearsing for 12 hours, and believe me, they're sick of each other by now, you see. Have you ever wondered what the guest star and the comedian really think when they stand up there and compliment each other? What do you suppose is going on in their minds? What are they saying to themselves? It would be interesting to find out, wouldn't it? And now, ladies and gentlemen, our guest star, Dennis Day! Thank you. Hello, Jack. Gosh, it's certainly great being here. What's great about it? On a nice Sunday like this, me and my mother could be out with a girl. <laughs> and Dennis, it's certainly great having you here. What's great about it? For what I'm paying him, I could have my choice of any two of the Andrews sisters in a corned beef sandwich. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. And did I tell you, you certainly look wonderful. You're the picture of health. How long can he last? <laughs> Gee, I wonder if I can take over his show after the funeral. Ah, it's very kind of you to say so, Dennis. But you took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to say that you look the picture of health. I'd swear the kid has rickets. Say, uh, tell me, Jack, how do you like having your own show? It's wonderful, Dennis. I just hope I can be as successful as you've been this year. Oh, I'm sure you will be, Jack. But, Dennis, do you realize what you've accomplished? You're on a Jack Benny show, the star of your own show, great guest appearances, record albums, everything. Well, believe me, Jack, with the right breaks, plenty of other performers could have done the same thing. Oh. Dennis Day, I dare you to name one. Oh, now, Dennis, you're much too modest. Modest? The kid's got two programs already, and he's still punching. If he could find the right girdle, he'd try to be John's other wife. Oh, by the way, Jack, is there anything I can do to get your show off to a good start? I hope he asked me to sing Glockamora. <laughs> I do it great. To hear me, you think I was a native Glockamoron. Well, it would be nice if you'd sing one of those Irish songs you're so famous for. If he sings Glockamora again, I'll blow my brains out. <laughs> I'd love to sing an Irish song, Jack. After all, I can't deny that I'm a son of old Ireland. He only knew I'm really an Armenian. <laughs> What's it going to be, Dennis? I'm praying it's not Glockamora. How about Glockamora? My favorite number! I'd be a sucker to let him sing. He'd make me look about as important as Margaret Truman's piano player. Say, Dennis, I've got a great idea. You and I will sing Glockamora as a duet. A duet? That is a great idea, Jack. 
How do you like this schmo trying to horn in on me? <laughs> One song with him and my hoopoe will be dragging. <laughs> me, 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 me. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Uh-oh, I've got a frog in my throat, Jack. Oh, a frog in your throat. Oh, that's too bad. A frog. He should have Morton Downey in his throat. <laughs> Sorry we can't sing the duet, Jack. The old throat just closed up on me. Well, I guess we'll have to do something else. I know. We'll tell some jokes, and you'll be the straight man. Me, the straight man? Me? Me? Me, 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 me. The old throat just opened up on me. I think I can sing now. How are things in Clockamora? Wait a minute. That little brook still leaping Hold it. There. Hold it, kid. Does it still run down? Look, Dennis. Please, look. Look, kid. Look, Dennis. Wait a minute. How are Wait a minute. In Clockamora? Wait a minute. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you and good night. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Day appeared with us tonight through the courtesy of his sponsor. Hmm, sponsor. Dennis Day appeared with us tonight through the courtesy of money. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. Remember what happens at the tobacco auctions? Year after year, at auction after auction, independent tobacco experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Mr. John Cummins of Cynthiana, Kentucky, has been an independent tobacco auctioneer for over 19 years. He said, For years at the auction, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy fine, good-tasting tobacco. Tobacco that's got quality, real quality. I've smoked Luckies for 22 years. That says it. A Lucky Strike smoker for 22 years. So for your own real deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember... L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes. L-S-M-F-T. No doubt about it. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. looking through a magazine the other day called Unpopular Mechanics. And do you know that there are 5,006,083 fountain pens at right underwater? Most of which are on their way back to the factory. <laughs> Everybody I knew had a fountain pen that wrote under something. Kaiser had a pen that wrote under Fraser. <laughs> Why, they even had an underwater fountain pen for children. The kids could do their homework and drown cats at the same time. <laughs> And many radio comedians, you should excuse the expression, had a field day. Eddie Cantor did so many underwater jokes that he got a fan letter from a mackerel. It was becoming a terrible situation. What I'd like to know is who's responsible? Who started all this? Who's to blame? Well, I guess I am. Aren't you, uh, wearing your water on the knee a little high? Well, I live underwater. <laughs> underwater? 
Yes, I couldn't find any other place to live. Well, you probably paid quite a bonus to an octopus, I imagine. It must be terribly unhealthy down there. <laughs> I'm not long for this world. Tell me something. Is it true about those beautiful mermaids? <laughs> Get a date for me and we'll go drowning together sometime. <laughs> what I'd like to know is, uh, how did you come to invent a fountain pen that writes underwater? Well, I told you I live underwater in a submarine. But it's dry inside a submarine. I know, but I like to write letters on the front porch. <laughs> Now, here are three guys that we're very proud of, the Page Cavanaugh Trio. Three boys who met in the Army and decided they made pretty good music together. They now make pretty good money together. Here they are, reading from left to right, Page, Cavanaugh, and Trio. Thank you very much. That was the Page Cavanaugh Trio, LSMF and T. Last week, I can't wait for those small ones, you know. Last week, I decided to go to the movies, so I got a GI loan and bought a ticket. Inside, I paid 10 cents for a nickel candy bar, was insulted by two ushers, and finally got a seat next to a lady who was plucking a chicken by the light of the movie tone news. The picture I saw was a British-made movie about an average American family, Lawrence Olivier and Henry Aldrich V. <laughs> Friends, you may not realize it, but the British have made American musicals, American comedies, and even gangster pictures. What's behind all this? 
Can this be England's revenge for Bunker Hill? <laughs> what if the British should decide to make our Western pictures? Can you imagine C. Aubrey Smith strumming a guitar and singing There'll Always Be a Wyoming? <laughs> or Sir Cedric Hardwick rescuing Dame May Whitty, the beautiful Mexican half-breed? <laughs> you know, I shudder to think of what the English version of Duel in the Sun might be like. Parliament Pictures presents a saga of the American West entitled Disagreement in the Shade. <laughs> the cast of characters, in order of their disappearance, Sir Arthur Whistlespoon in the role of Texas Jack Parr. The dame Cynthia Duff Armstrong appears as Cactus Nill. And by special arrangement with the Abbey players, the right Honorable J. Wembley Hollingshead in the role of Schmerry Pete. <laughs> and introducing Parliament Pictures' new star... Reginald, the Wonder Horse. Full credit is given to Antoine of Paris, who created Reginald's upswept tail do. And now, for disagreement in the shade. <laughs> It's a beastly hot day at the Bar Cheerio Ranch. <laughs> Located in Arizona, one of His Majesty's last outposts. <laughs> the film begins as Texas Jack, our Rufus, and yet beloved Coand, rides up to the ranch on Reginald, the Wonder Horse. <laughs> Reginald, I say do woa, won't you? Stout horse, Reginald. Ah, stout horse. Hello, is anyone about? Mrs. Jack, darling, you've come home at last. Yes, Cactus Neil, and I've missed you, my sweet. I've been singing and riding 30 hard days on the range. Oh, how dreadful. Yes, frankly, there's very little zip left in my doodah. <laughs> You've been away nearly a fortnight, and I've just noticed that your bow leg had cleared up to the part in your hair. <laughs> yes, I, I am bow-legged, but it's most convenient for letting the covered wagons go through. <laughs> Tell me, my dear, what has transpired while I've been out getting about the gulches? Well, in your absence, Peter employed a new foreman for the ranch, a completely horrible hombre. His name is uh, Smelly Pete. Smelly Pete? I don't know any Smelly Pete. No, oh, he's a blackguard and a murderer. And I have reason to believe that Smelly Pete has murdered Sheriff Cavendish. That's quite impossible. I spoke to Sheriff Cavendish only an hour ago. Did he answer you? And come to think of it, no. <laughs> well, 
absurd text, this cringing coyote, smelly Pete, has become a nemesis on these premises. <laughs> Neil, dear, what you've told me is utterly appalling. Let me take you away from all this, pack up and fly with me to Montana. Montana? Yes, it's just outside Boston. <laughs> Neil, you must be my wife. You simply must. Impossible, Tex. Forget me. I can't forget you, Neil. <laughs> you're with me wherever I go. Wherever I go, you're with me. Walking, riding, golfing. Of course, when I go to the YMCA, I must leave you outside. <laughs> Say you will, say it. Oh, we are not being practical, Dex. How would we live? I've thought of that. We'll make our living by raising cactus. Oh, is there a demand for cactus? Demand? Why, at this very moment on the New York Stock Exchange, cactus is selling for 50 cents a cack. <laughs> oh, darling, you're so resourceful. Neil, my dear, I love you more than life itself. And allow me to assure you that Reginald, my wonder horse, shares my admiration. Don't you, Reginald? Right-o, Governor. <laughs> oh, how utterly quaint. Oh, darling, nothing would give me more lasting satisfaction than to become Mrs. Texas Jack. But Peter has promised me to the new foreman. You mean? Yes. I'm afraid I'm doomed to become Mrs. Smelly Pete. This is an intolerable situation. If I can't have you, I shall go out and drown myself in the well. But the well is dry. Then some other time, perhaps. <laughs> But I shan't lose you so easily. I'll seek out this smelly pea person and force him to give you up. Oh, you may well have your chance. Look, he's coming this way. Splendid, I'm ready. I must warn you, Tex. He's a vicious brute, capable of violence and murder. Hello there, chaps. Anyone for tennis? <laughs> Texas Jack, allow me to present smelly Pete. How to do? <laughs> How do you do, partner? I understand you're something of a cad. You've stolen 50,000 head of cattle and brutally murdered the sheriff, all of which is decidedly illegal. Well, aren't you the goody-goody? <laughs> and furthermore, I suspect that you're trying to marry Neil only to get your hands on her cattle. Sir, do you accuse me of courting a woman purely for her pot roast? <laughs> I do. In view of the circumstances, I fear we shall have to shoot it out. Oh, very well. I'm prepared. Let's get on with it. Oh, you do are so utterly, utterly masculine. Let's get on with it. I'm due on the tennis courts in half an hour. Fine. I shall drop my neckerchief and we shall both fire at once. Bully. <laughs> Here goes then. I'm dropping the neckerchief. Wait. That neckerchief, those colors, magenta and powder blue on a field of shocking pink. What about them? Those are the Oxford colors. Are you an Oxford man, ma'am? Of course. <laughs> Texas Jack, class of 29. Smelly Pete, class of 28. Heavens to Bevan. <laughs> How stupid of me. I should have known, but I thought you were an Inja. You were an Inja, weren't you? Oh, of course I was an Inja. But since I've moved to Arizona. <laughs> it's so frightfully good to see you again, Smelly. Likewise, you old varmint. You must come to the bunkhouse for a spot of tiffin this afternoon. We have so much to talk about. Gentlemen, aren't you forgetting that you're supposed to be killing yourselves over me? Oh, right, I'd clean forgot. Oh, yes, we must do some shooting. After all, this is the West, where men are men and women are women. Oh, yes, I believe we have the same arrangement in England. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> we'll do get 
On with it, you two. You have your pistols drawn. All right, old girl. Smelly Pete, I shall count three. Fire at will. Got you, old boy. Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> Good heavens, man, you've shot the girl. But I distinctly heard you say, fire at mill. No, no, old boy. I said fire at will. Really, my dear fellow, you should watch your diction. <laughs> well, no matter. The joke's on me. Anyone for tennis? Jack Parr will be back in just a moment, but first, here's Basil Risedale. Jack will be back in just a minute, but first, here is Basil Risedale, and as you listen to the historic chant of the tobacco auctioneer, remember, LSMFT. <laughs> Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Listen, season after season, I've seen tobacco bought by the makers of Lucky Strike. Tobacco that's full of flavor, ripe and mild. James Talley, famous tobacco warehouseman, said that. For years at auctions, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy fine, ripe, smooth-smoking tobacco. Smoke Lucky's myself for 29 years. Charles Gunter, 55 years an independent tobacco buyer, said that. Yes, at auction after auction, independent tobacco experts like Mr. Talley and Mr. Gunter can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Remember, LSMFT, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and fine tobacco means real deep down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. appears for the courtesy of RKO Pictures. Again next Sunday, the Jack Parr Show with Trudy Irwin, the Page Cavanaugh Trio, Jerry Fielding in the orchestra, and as our special guests, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, James Mason, Greer Garson, Cary Grant, the entire cast of the best years of our lives, and the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Well, hi, everybody's a nice guy, but he's an awful liar. Good night, everybody. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. A credit card is handy, whatever you'd like to buy. Simply take your card of credit and go get it. Use your credit card to purchase the hottest, most fashionable t-shirts on the scene today. Quality premium t-shirts from Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing at plclothing.store. Based in Scottsdale, Arizona, Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing features the most distinctive t-shirts ever imagined. That's because Panoramic is a vision that moves in all directions. 
So use your credit card and check out the exclusive collection at plclothing.store. That's plclothing.store. A credit card is handy, whatever you'd like to buy. Simply take your card of credit and go get it. From the K-Rob Collection, this has been Audio Antiques, featuring classic shows from the golden age of American radio. This podcast emanates from Anchor.fm and can be heard on Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Spotify, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and others. You can contact us at audioantiques at krobcollection.com. Our theme music is by hbeats330 at gmail.com. I'm Ken Robinson, thanking our many listeners in the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, India, Germany, Ireland, Canada, Ukraine, Bhutan, Spain, Poland, the Netherlands, France, and 73 other nations around the world. Glad to have you with us.